As part of a series of programs covering class action laws in jurisdictions around the world, and to supplement content found in Jones Day's recent publication, Class Actions Worldview Part 1, the United States and the European Union, this edition of Jones Day Talks focuses on class actions in Spain, or as they're known, collective actions. Jones Day's Antonio Canales and Gonzalo Hero, both based in Madrid, are here to explore the topic in detail. They'll talk about the current state of collective actions in Spain, how the European Commission's directive on representative actions would affect relevant parties in Spain, and they'll discuss the Spanish preliminary draft law and what it will cover as well as their thoughts on settlements, third-party funding, and much more. Stay here. I'm Dave Dalton. You're listening to Jones Day Talks. For more than 15 years, Antonio Canales has represented clients on civil and commercial arbitration and litigation proceedings before the principal arbitration courts and Spanish civil and commercial courts. He assists clients in proceedings regarding contract disputes, damage claims, construction defects, real estate registration law, insolvency proceedings, and corporate disputes. Antonio has advised companies in a wide range of sectors, including energy, financial services, construction, real estate, manufacturing, and telecommunications. And Gonzalo Hierro focuses his practice on commercial arbitration and litigation. He has represented a wide variety of clients in arbitrations administered by the main national and international arbitration centers, as well as before the national courts at all levels. He is a member of the New York State Bar Association, the Madrid Bar Association, and the Spanish Arbitration Club. Gonzalo Antonio, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Dave. Hi, Dave. Thank you. And you're welcome. And I'm, again, I'm so glad you're here. Interesting topic. This is the second in a series of podcasts about class actions, worldwide. We're going to talk about the landscape in Spain and what's happening there in the class action legal scope. So let's get started. Let's go to Antonio first. Tell us, I guess, high level, big picture, what's the status of class actions in Spain as we speak here in late 2023? What's going on? Thanks, Dave. In Spain, there are no class actions as such, but there are mechanisms that span legal standing to non-damage third parties or group of affected people. The Spanish Law on Civil Procedure introduced this mechanism for the first time. We call them Acciones Colectivas, which is, translates to collective actions. Collective actions are available in civil lawsuits related to the rights of consumers, products, and users of services. We call both of them consumers. And besides, certain groups and associations have legal standing to bring other type of actions affecting the rights of groups of people. However, not all consumers associations are entitled to file legal actions on behalf of consumers. Only those that have a nationwide and long-standing record of activity in the defense of consumer rights or have been certified as representative association or have been appointed as members of the National Consumers and Users Councils can do so. And compared to class actions under other legal system. Spanish class actions are not tightly regulated. There is no express regulation of compliance requirement for class actions, nor is there a certification of class process that confirms the fulfillment of these requisites. And because the configuration of the class is not specifically regulated, there is no minimum number of claims required. However, the group is considered to be legally constituted as a representative plaintiff when its members comprise at least 50% of all the aggrieved consumers. That's a great overview and summation. Gonzalo, what would you add to what Antonio started us off with? Well, I would add that uh, Spain so far has seen limited use of collective actions. However, in the last few years, 
Some local law firms have started working on claims similar to class actions, mainly regarding financial products from savings banks. Even though these claims are pursued on an individual basis and are contingent on fees, these law firms appear to be looking into using collective actions more frequently. The most useful kind of collective actions are those related to the field of consumer law, contract claims, such as claims for damages due to non-compliance or defective fulfillment of mass contracts, also related to the field of competition law, with claims of damages caused to consumers as a result of practices contrary to free competition. We've seen plenty of those. Also, claims related to the field of extra-contractual civil liability. Having said that, Spanish legislators are working on new legislation regarding collective redress and related mechanisms, and this will certainly change the current system in the coming months. Gonzalo, let's stay with you for a second. Talk about the the directive there in the EU in terms of class actions. What's the progress there on implementing the directive? So according to the directive, the transposition rules should have been approved before the past December 25, 2022, and be applied from June 25, 2023. However, like many other EU countries, Spain's transposition of the directive has not been done on time. In fact, uh, the European Commission, back in January 2023, pointed out that a large number of member states, that large number is 24 out of 27, had failed to meet the deadline and send them letters of formal notice. The only ones who timely transposed the directive were Hungary, Lithuania, and the Netherlands. Well, going back to Spain's transposition process, it began with a preliminary public consultation, which took place a little bit over three years ago. Yeah, 2020. Yeah, yeah 2020. After following the established procedure, which includes the issuance of multiple reports from different governing bodies, from the Ministry of Justice to the General Council of the Judiciary, on December 20, 2022, the government finally approved the preliminary draft. Its content has already been published, but it is still in the processing stage. Antonio, pick up on some of Gonzalo's remarks. Uh, is this a positive thing moving forward? What, what, what's your opinion or what's the firm's opinion here? Yeah. They're finally implementing a system for the collective protection of consumer interest equipped with a specific procedural channel. And the reform will likely manage to decrease to a greater or lesser extent the phenomenon of mass litigation. Because after a decade that has seen several waves of such lawsuits, this method of protecting consumer rights could have turned inefficient for both litigants and the justice administration itself. Let's stay with you, Antonio. Talk about the proposed regulation and how it will impact the current state of collective consumer actions in the Spanish legal system as it stands today. Well, the Spanish legal system already allows for the exercise of collective actions in consumer matters, both in terms of injunctive measures and redress measures. It is expected that the new regulation overcomes the problems of the current legislation and shape collective protection as a true special protection. Specifically, the creation of a special procedure is contemplated. The use of tools in line with current times, such as electronic platform, 
is also foreseen. Or the creation of a public registry for representative actions is also foreseen. So these new measures allow for more agile processing and direct and straightforward access for the affected consumers and users. But having said that, several reports for governing bodies have raised concerns about specific parts of the preliminary draft. One of those reports, for example, suggests that the commercial courts, given their specialized expertise, should handle these matters. For example, other point which has been criticized is the opt-out mechanism as well, which is, by the way, the general rule under the preliminary draft. And one of these reports, for example, explains that consumers may become bound to the outcome of a compensation action they were unaware of or could not timely opt out from, and therefore losing their right to pursue individual claims. Let's go back to Gonzalo and pick up on a couple of other points. Gonzalo, uh, when we're talking about the preliminary draft, what sorts of violations for consumers and users does the draft cover? What are we looking at here? Well, the preliminary draft covers all violations of collective rights and interests of consumers and users caused by entrepreneurs or professionals. This includes, but is not limited to, areas such as defective products, unfair clauses, travel and tourism, consumer goods, data protection, financial services, basically all of those that are identified in Annex 1 of the directive, but it's, it's, it's not limited to only those. Yeah, it's pretty broad already, and then you say it's not limited, so this is going to cover a lot of ground. Gonzalo, let's stay with you. What kind of actions could be exercised in the context of consumer protections in this case? They are called the so-called representative actions. They include both cessation actions, which aim to stop a behavior and forbid its future repetition, and compensatory actions which mandate remedies for harms done to consumers. These compensatory actions can include the repair or replacement of a product, price reduction, contract termination, or for example, the reimbursement of the amount paid. Both types of actions can be brought forward together, but the court has the discretion to process them either jointly or separately. In the case they are processed separately, the court may choose to suspend the compensatory action until it resolves the cessation action. Let's go back to Antonio. We're going to talk about standing in these matters. Antonio, who would have legal standing to file representative actions in these sorts of cases or matters? Yeah, and there, the preliminary draft for the exercise of national representative actions, the entities authorized are the National Consumer and User Associations, or the Public Prosecutor's Office and the Public Consumption Bodies for the exercise of national representative actions. And regarding the exercise of cross-border representative actions, the entities authorized are those consumers and users association established in other member states who are authorized to exercise representative actions in that member state. And these consumers and users association must be included in the list published by the European Commission. Okay. Let's stay with you, Antonio. So we're talking about this new special procedure. Who's able to participate as this is structured? Only authorized entities can participate in representative actions, not individual consumers. And this is to make the process simpler, although the statute of limitations for individual actions will be interrupted by the filing of representative actions. 
Let's go back to Gonzalo. We're talking about cessation actions. What specific features are anticipated regarding these cessation actions? How does that work? Well, I'll, I'll mention a few. For example, to file a cessation lawsuit, a letter before action must be sent with at least 15 days. Even though this step is optional in the directive, it will not be under Spanish law. The filing entity needs to identify the affected consumers and users. If a specific identification is not possible, then general characteristics should be detailed to determine who would benefit from a favorable ruling. Another characteristic is that a provisional cessation precautionary measure can be requested if the offending behavior meets the requirement of urgency or necessity. In certain cases, the court may exempt the requesting entity from posting a bond. Another characteristic is that if there is a delay in executing a court decision, fines can range from 600, between 600 to 60,000 euros per day. The court can also order uh, the content of the judgment or a rectification statement to be published in the media. Uh, those would cover some of the specific features of cessation actions. Okay. Let's move over to Antonio and talk about compensation actions. What specific features are you anticipating regarding compensation, Antonio? Well, in general, we could say that the process will buy all those affected by the illicit behavior unless they expressly request not to be bound. This is an opt-out system. Therefore, as a rule, the effects of the judgment or of the agreement will extend to consumers affected by the exercise of these representative actions, of course, unless they choose to help out. As exception, the process will only buy those who expressly requested when the amount claimed for each beneficiary exceeds 5,000 euros. And the opt-in regime will always apply when those affected by the redress actions have their habitual residence outside of Spanish territory. And in that regard, we could also refer to the creation of an electronic platform for each process to convey information to those affected. And this system will be useful so that consumers can express their desire to opt out or opt in for the exceptional cases where this regime applies. And this ensures that the information gathered can be used by the core or by the authorized plaintiff entities when executing the judgment. Back to Gonzalo. Gonzalo, is a settlement a viable option in these matters? Can that happen? Yes, it is, Dave. Once the action is certified, both the plaintiff entity and the defendant can jointly request the court to ratify an agreement to compensate the affected consumers. The court can also be the one to suggest the parties to try to reach a settlement, even offering them the possibility to suspend the course of the proceedings for a maximum period of three months. In this regard, the request for the ratification of the agreement must include, where applicable, the amount to be paid to each beneficiary or to each category of beneficiaries. If possible, it must also include the total amount to be paid as compensation, as well as the criteria and procedure for its distribution in the case of other compensatory measures, it should state their content and how consumers and users can benefit from them. The parties must also briefly explain the reasons why the 
proposed agreement should be considered fair and reasonable. The reason why this must be included is because the court, upon receiving the request for ratification, it will only ratify the agreement unless it finds it unduly harmful to the rights and interests of the affected consumers and users, or contrary to mandatory rules, or subject to conditions that cannot be met. Great summary. Antonio, can you pick up on those remarks a little bit and talk about the proposed agreement and what your thoughts are there? Yeah, I was about to say that in that regard, in assessing whether the proposed agreement is detrimental to the rights and interests of the affected consumer, the court could take into account several circumstances, such as the amount of compensation or the degree of difficulty of the consumers to access to such compensation or the amount of money that will be given to the third party that financed the process, or the fees to be paid to those who have represented and defended the plant identity. Back to Gonzalo. Gonzalo, in cases like this, will compensation actions bind other parties? Hmm. In general, the judgment will bind the consumers and users that are mentioned in the certification order, even if they have not been individually identified in either the the order or the judgment. In the exceptional cases where the opt-in mechanism has been followed in cases of consumers and users residing outside of the Spanish territory, it will only affect those consumers and users who have opted in. Antonio, anything you'd add there? It is important to know that a subsequent claim will be inadmissible if the action has the same purpose as the one concluded by a final judgment, even if it was filed by a different plaintiff. And second point, the judgment can be appealed both before the second instance court and later on before the Supreme Court, which still will give priority with regards to its processing. Good enough. All right, let's shift focus for a minute and talk about third-party funding. Antonio, I'm aware I've heard there are other jurisdictions, places around the world where third-party funding to class action suits in those cases is fairly prevalent. But talk about third-party funding in the EU. Is this common? Is it going on? Well, yeah, the the practice of third-party funding has been limited within the EU. However, with the directive anticipating an increase in European mass actions, third-party funding is set to play a bigger part. And in Spain, the preliminary draft allows for collective actions to be financed by third parties, mandating transparent disclosures of funding sources alongside the statement of claim. And the certification hearing is the stage of the process where the court will ensure that any third-party funding of the process does not become a source of conflicts of interest that could be harmful to consumers. Under the preliminary draft, a conflict of interest will be understood to exist when the third party financing the litigation has an economic interest in the outcome of the action, which may divert it from protecting the collective interest of consumers. And it will be understood that there is a conflict of interest when the defendant is a competitor of the funder or a business person or professional upon whom the funders depends on. The court will also consider, for example, that a conflict of interest exists if it perceives that the decision of the plaintiff entity are influenced by a third party financing the process in a way that may be detrimental to the collective interests of the affected consumers. And in those cases, when the court perceives the existence of any of these conflicts of interest, 
it will require the plaintiff's entity to renounce to the financing or modify within a specific period of time. And if within such period the plaintiff entity does not justify having proceeded with the renouncement or requiring modification, the court will just dismiss the process or exclude the affected entity from it. And the court will proceed in the same manner if it detects the existence of a conflict of interest after the action has been certified. In such a case, either on its own initiative or at the request of a party, the court will determine the appropriate course of actions after processing a preliminary incident, ensuring that under no circumstances are the rights of the consumers affected. Nice. Let's go back to Gonzalo, get his thoughts on litigation funders in the, the current landscape. Well, I would like to, to mention that there are several litigation funders already active in several member states and they are continuing to expand their presence in Europe through the establishment of new offices. In particular, in Spain, numerous funders have established their operations, which highlights the growing interest and investment in this sector in the region in Spain. We would also like to mention that in September 2022, the European Parliament recommended stricter regulation of third-party litigation funding. They were concerned over potential conflicts of interest and the influence that funders could have on claim organizations. There was a research that indicated that in certain member states, some litigation funders could demand up to 50% of the proceeds. That's why the European Parliament has suggested introducing a licensing system for these funders, requiring them to maintain transparency and prioritize the injured parties. There have also been proposals that the funders be held accountable for the defendant's cost in case litigation fails. However, until now, the European, as it has planned a comprehensive study before implementing these new roles, we will have to wait and see how these uh, recommendations and concerns will shape the future regulation. Gonzalo, let's stay with you for a second. We've covered a lot of ground in in this program already, but I want to get back to, are there any other items particular to the preliminary draft law that you'd like to highlight or make sure our audience hears about? Well, as a novelty, let's say, the preliminary draft includes a mechanism for accessing information and evidence held by the opposing party or even third parties uh, for the presentation of uh, relevant evidence in their possession, including that evidence that could be necessary to determine the identity of the affected consumers. After filing the request, the court may order the presentation of specific pieces of evidence or uh, pertinent categories of evidence as limited and defined as possible based on the available facts. And by this, I mean that unlike the common law system that favors a broad discovery phase in pursuit of the truth, in which neither party can withhold information or documents that may be relevant to the resolution of the case, the Spanish courts will limit the presentation of evidence to what it considers proportionate. 
and by proportionate, the courts, well, they will take into account uh, several facts to determine whether it's proportionate or not. They will specifically take into account three different things. One of them, the extent to which the action or defense is supported by available facts and evidence that justify the request for the presentation of evidence. The second one, the scope and cost of presenting the evidence, especially for any affected third party. This requirement has also been introduced in order to prevent indiscriminate searches for information that the court understands that they may likely not be relevant to the parties in the process. And as a last requirement, the fact that the evidence requested to be presented includes confidential information especially confidential information concerning third parties. You know, we've covered a lot of information uh, about the current state of affairs. We've looked back a little bit. Let's close with this. Antonio, look ahead. What do you see coming in terms of trends when it comes to the class action space in Spain? What do you see coming in the near and medium term? Yeah, well, according to recent studies, we've seen that the number of class actions filed in Europe has experienced a growth of over 120% between 2018 and 2021. And you can see that Spain, alongside Italy, Bulgaria, Croatia, Belgium, or Norway, for example, collectively amount to nearly 6% of class actions filed in Europe. We see that collective actions in Spain have been used only to claim individual homogeneous right of a class. And the very limited number of cases in which collective actions have been used They've involved contractual issues. And because of this, in Spain, the most commonly seen type of collective actions are those related to the field of consumers' law contract claims, such as claims for damages due to non-compliance or claims due to defective fulfillment of mass contract. So in our view, this tendency, the tendency is that this sort of procedures will increase in the following years. Gonzalo, Antonio, great summary. We'll leave it right there. You packed a lot of information into a relatively short program. So really wanted to thank you for being here today. Thank you very much, Dave, for this opportunity. Thank you, Dave. Thank you both. You were terrific. Thanks. For complete bios and contact information for both Antonio and Gonzalo, please visit jonesday.com. While you're there, check out our insights page for more podcasts, videos, publications, and other timely and informative content. And in particular, since you're listening to this program, please have a look at Jones Day's Class Actions Worldview Part 1, The United States and the European Union. You'll also find a link to that publication on this podcast cover page. Subscribe to Jones Day Talks at Apple Podcasts or wherever else you find your podcast programming. Jones Day Talks is produced by Tom Condless. And as always, we thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Jones Day Talks. Comments heard on Jones Day Talks should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. The opinions expressed on Jones Day Talks are those of lawyers appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information, please visit jonesday.com.